Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, last Sunday, I started talking about faith, and and I talked about the fact that we have to have faith tune-ups from time to time. And... um, Just like anything else that you have, it has to be maintained. Your car has to be maintained. It has to have periodic tune-ups. Your computers, your tablets, you know, uh, I was just explaining something to PG just a minute ago about something my tablet's not doing right. He said, I can can fix that. Well, you know, sometimes uh, in our spiritual lives, things need to be tuned up. They need to be fixed. They're not working right. And uh, and so this is what this uh, short series is all about. It's about having a faith tune-up. Glory to God. Now go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. We'll real quickly make the points we made last week, not elaborate on them very much, but just move on. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him, him being God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Notice, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know, that's, that's pretty straightforward. That's a, that's a strong statement. There's, there's no way you can misunderstand that. Without faith, that is without having faith and without living by faith, It's not knowing about faith. It's living by faith that pleases God. And without that, without living by faith, without having strong faith, we talked about the fact that Jesus identified different levels of faith. He talked about those with no faith. He talked about those with weak faith. He talked about those with little faith. And none of those Uh, descriptions were, uh, he he was not happy or pleased with any of those people who were described as having weak faith or little faith or no faith. God is not pleased when we're weak in faith. God is pleased when we're strong in faith. Without faith, without strong faith or without growing faith. Paul commended the church, he said your faith grows exceedingly. And as long as your faith is growing, God is pleased. But when your faith becomes stagnant or becomes weakened and you don't refurbish it, you don't restore it, you don't tune it up, then God's not happy with that. Without a vibrant faith, you cannot please God. How many of you want to please God? Well, you know then that in order to do that, it requires a robust faith. Isn't that right? Amen. Now, uh, we talked about the fact that the natural state of man, man in his natural, unregenerate state, is, has two problems. First of all, man is sinful. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Man in his natural state is a fallen creature and he's sinful. We also know that man in his natural state is unbelieving. That's one of the, of, the, of the things that God identifies 
as one of the greatest sins is unbelieving. Doubting, did you know doubting is a sin? To doubt God is a sin. And the Bible says that the lake of fire is for those who are unbelieving, those who would not believe. They're going to be, they're going to be, they're going to perish for eternity because they refuse to believe. Man in his natural state is a doubter. But we're not in our natural state. Because if you've been born again, you made a decision to believe. And when you exercised faith, God was pleased. And when you exercised faith, you became a Christian, became born again. You are now what we call a believer. But just because you're a believer doesn't mean you're believing on the level you could or the level that you should because, again, faith has to be tuned up. It has to be kept strong. Amen. Uh, I talked about the fact that where salvation is concerned, in order for a person to be saved, he has to stop going his own way and stop believing his own thoughts and his own way of doing things. And he has to turn and start believing what God has said and start doing things God's way. A lot of people have mixed up ideas about what it takes to be saved. A lot of people think that if they live right, if they just try to treat their fellow man right and, and uh, get along with people and not steal things and, and you know, not do really bad things and just, just a generally good person who tries to get along that, that they'll go to heaven because they're just generally a good person. And a lot of people, I mean a vast uh, majority of people believe that because I guarantee you if you ask people, just get into a casual, casual conversation and gently turn the, the, the subject in, in some way that way and ask people, you know, do you think you're going to heaven? You'll find that most people will say, well, I hope I am and I, I believe I am. I try to do good. They believe by doing good they'll get to heaven and it's just not true. It's absolutely not true. You won't go to heaven because you do good. There, Jesus, God has set salvation up and the Lord Jesus Christ has provided salvation and it only comes one way. It comes by, for, by forsaking your own way and your own righteousness and your own good works and trusting in Jesus, his righteousness and his good works, putting all your faith in him. That goes contrary to the natural inclination of man because natural man wants to do it himself. Natural man wants to trust in himself. He believes in himself and he thinks he can climb the ladder by his efforts and his good deeds to reach heaven that he can make himself approved and it can't be done. In order to be born again, you have to put all of your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, in his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, you have to believe 100% in what he did and big 0% in what you do. You can't trust anything about your natural 
uh, goodness or even your spiritual goodness and even your good works in God. Even though we're instructed to have good works and God requires us to have good works, make no mistake, you can never trust those things. Your faith can't be in your good works. It has to be in what God has done. Why? Because God set it up that way. Now, there are reasons for it that we won't have to go into today, but the fact is that's just the way it's set up. And in order to be saved, you have to, you have to agree with God's way. Well, the same thing is true about everything else you receive from God. You have to receive it His way and not your way. Not the way you've had it, not the way you figured it out. Not the way your grandparents had it figured out. Not the way your, your, your church background had it figured out. If it's not according to the Bible, it just won't work. Most Christians go through life, most, the, the overwhelming majority of Christians go through life genuinely saved. I'm talking about saved people. Go through life and they live on a very low plane in respect to the provisions and the blessings that are available to them. Most Christians miss out on most of the blessings of God. The things that he has provided. And the reason they do is they won't go about it God's way. They have their own ideas and their own ways of doing things and faith, faith is simply believing God contrary to what your natural inclinations tell you. See, Hebrews 11 says faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. For a person to be strong in faith, he has to have developed a habit of looking at things God's way and whenever things in the natural look different, he's learned to say, no, I'm not going to turn to the natural way. I'm going to stay hooked up with the word of God. I'm going to stay on the word. I'm going to keep acting on the word. I'm going to believe the word. Even though circumstances, family, society, they all tell you that won't work and that's not the way it works. Faith takes God at his word and acts on it. Oh, glory to God. <clears throat> now, we know that God requires faith. We don't, we're not going to get into it now. We'll get into it a little bit later. But you can go through the New Testament and you can see again and again and again. Well, I tell you what, let's just look at one example. Uh, let's look at, go with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, I think is where I want to go. In verse number 27, now this is just one of many examples in Matthew 27, it says, Jesus departed from there, and two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. 
When he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. Now notice, Jesus didn't say that it's according to my ability. He didn't say it's according to my power. He didn't say it's according to my will. He said it's according to your faith. Much of the church world, the majority, the vast majority of the church world believes that God's blessings come to people because it's the will of God for those things to come. And if it's not the will of God, they won't come. In other words, the, uh, uh, whether it's a, uh, a fin financial blessing or a healing or some other answer to prayer, that it's dependent upon the will of God and it's dependent upon the power of God and the power of God operates when he wills it to. Jesus did not say to this man, according to my power, be it done unto you. Now, we know his power. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing. We know that power went into these men when he touched them, but Jesus didn't focus on the power. He focused on the two men's faith. He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. So we know that the blessings of God, all of the blessings of God require faith on our part. And we could talk a whole lot more about that and we will in, in a later time. But we talked about this last week that if we know that the blessings of God only come by faith, and they do. Go with me. Here's an interesting one. This, this will really show you in a, in a little better light. Go to James chapter 1. The first chapter of the epistle of James. Look at verse number five. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now, the denomination my wife and I grew up in, we had people all the time that would turn in prayer requests for various things. And, and one of the most common needs that people have is healing in their body. So we use that as an, as an illustration a lot. There are other things, but, but if there's anything common to men because our bodies are mortal is our bodies are always in, in need of a touch from God. Isn't that right? I mean, that's, that's just a recurring thing. And even if you live by faith, you still are challenged. You're still challenged. Challenges come to me and my physical body all the time. And I've just learned to say, no, you don't. You're not putting that on me. Jesus bore my sicknesses and carried my pains, and I'm not taking. So I, I resist those things, but they come. I pass up a lot of really good opportunities to be sick. <laughs> Amen. 
But that's just, that's, that's, that is uh, the experience of all of us. So we grew up in a denomination that we, we were praying for healing all the time. And, and the church would get up and the church would, you know, somebody would turn in a prayer request for sister so-and-so. She's home, she's not feeling good. Or some, you know, something's going on. And the church would pray and agree and ask God to heal. But then if the person didn't get healed, we would say, well, you know, I guess it wasn't the will of God. My, my own mother, now I can talk about my mom now. First of all, she's in heaven. And if she's listening, I don't know that she is, but if she's listening, she would agree with what I'm saying today because it's according to the Bible. But when my mom was here, she was, I loved my mom and she was a wonderful Christian woman, a good godly woman, but she had a lot of tragedy in her life and it was, she was largely responsible for that because she did not know how to take her stand against these things. Now, my mom struggled with, with real bad depression for many, many years. I remember it as just a, a little boy. I don't remember how old I was when I first, my first memory of it. I think I was probably eight or nine years old. But from then on, I, rem I remember my mom always being troubled with, with depression and anxiety and, and a lot of things that go along with that. When I was 11 years old, my dad was killed just in a, in a weird home accident, kind of a gardening accident out back. You know, something strange happened. He fell and hit his head and, 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 he, and he was killed. And in the prime of life, 42 years old, my mom was 37, uh, I think, and uh, four children. My oldest sister was 16. My brother was, was 14. I was 11. We had a one-year-old little sister. She had just had her birthday, first birthday the day before he was killed. And, uh, and so my dad was killed, and so my mom went through, you know, many years of, of, of uh, heartache over that, and the depression got worse. And uh, my little sister went in for some surgery when she was 14, and she mysteriously died in surgery. Just, you know, she, the surgery she was having, she should not have died from, and it was a mystery and, and really never got a good answer as to what happened to her. She just arrested you know, on the, on, on the operating table and they couldn't revive her and she was gone. I remember one of my aunts coming to the hospital. I was down there and uh, my mother, of course, was just falling apart, you know. And, and, and I remember my aunt making this comment. She said, my mom's name was Lily Mae. And my aunt said, you know what? She said, I just guess, I just suppose Lily Mae is just not, it's just not, God's intention for Lily Mae to ever have anything. God just keeps taking everything from her. She made that. Now, my, now my aunt was not a, a wicked woman. She was a God-fearing woman, a woman of prayer, a, a, a wonderful saint of God. But that's just what we believed. And, and I remember her making that statement. She said, I just suppose uh, Lily Mae is just not supposed to ever have anything because everything keeps being taken from her. Well, that was, that, was, that was generally what we believed. You can pray and pray and pray and quote unquote, you know, go through the motions of believing God. But if something else happens, well, in the end, you just have to accept it all as the will of God. Notice this passage. If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lack wisdom, would wisdom be the will of God? 
Could anybody today question whether or not God would will you to have wisdom or not? Would it be the will? Could you imagine, in your furthest imagination, could you imagine that it would be God's will for you to lack wisdom? No, because you go through the, if you've ever read the book of Proverbs, get wisdom, get wisdom, get wisdom, get wisdom. Isn't that right? God intends for us to have wisdom. Have you ever met some, a Christian that didn't have a lot of wisdom? You ever met a Christian that lacked wisdom or maybe lacked wisdom in one particular area? What would that be the will of God not to have wisdom? Come on, are you out there? Would it be the will of God for you to not have wisdom? No, the Bible is clear that, 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 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, here's something interesting. If it's the will of God for you to have wisdom, everybody would agree it's the will of God for you to have wisdom. If it's the will of God for you to have wisdom, why wouldn't you just have it? If it's the will of God, why, not, why, why wouldn't God just make sure you have it? It's his will. Why would you have to ask for wisdom that God's already declared throughout the Bible that it's his will for you to have. Why would he say ask for it? That tells me something right there. Just because God wills something doesn't mean it's going to be yours unless you go after it. It's not enough that God wills it. He wills you have wisdom, but he said if you lack it, ask. Let him ask. Jesus said it like this. He said, your father knows the things you need before you ask. Well, if he knows, see, we're talking about wisdom here because it's so easy to prove that God wills that you have wisdom. See, a lot of people, I've read things that said, well, people pray about a lot of things, you know, like healing, but, you know, healing's really not that important. And that sometimes there are more important things that God wants to work in your life other than healing. And healing is not something he's really interested in right now because he has, a, he has another plan for you. He's trying to work a greater miracle in your life. And sometimes we ask for things we're convinced that, that we need when we really don't need. And healing is one of those things that people say, well, sometimes people, you know, they ask for healing, but they really, they don't understand the bigger scheme. They really, that's not really what they need. They need something else. I've noticed this, all those people that say, well, you know, it might not be the will of God to heal and, and sometimes that's not really the, the, the best solution. Maybe God has another. I've noticed all those people still go to the doctor. You ever notice that? They still go to the doctor. They still take medicine to get themselves out of the will of God, supposedly. <laughs> because, well, it might not be the will. If it might not be the will of God, why don't you figure it out until you take and, and, and not take that next pill until you figure it out? If it's not the will of God, why are you trying to oppose the will of God going to the doctor? That doesn't make any sense. Because instinctively, it, it's, just, it's just a no-brainer that when your body is sick, you need to be healed and God wants you to be healed. And so wisdom is, is the easiest way to prove that because it's obvious that you need wisdom, but you're still supposed to ask. You have to go for the things that, that you have need of and it's, 
Being God's will is not the determining factor. It's not the determining factor. He said, what is, he shows us what the determining factor is. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. God gives wisdom liberally and without reproach. He gives to all. All, everybody. Quentin, Steve, Rachel, Steve. He gives what? He gives wisdom to everyone liberally. That means abundantly and without reproach. That word reproach means criticism, condemnation. He gives us wisdom liberally and he won't find fault. He's not a fault finder. If you have wisdom, he won't say, well, you, you silly thing, why do you need wisdom? If you were smarter, if you were better, if you were more educated, if you came from a better line, a better stock, no, he doesn't do any of that. If you need wisdom, he will lavishly give you wisdom, all you need. He'll do it. He'll do it freely and without criticizing or fault finding. But, but, let him ask for what? For wisdom. The same thing would be true for anything else you need. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. Even where wisdom is concerned, good old wisdom, good old upright wisdom. I mean, there's nothing selfish about asking for wisdom because you're asking for God's wisdom, isn't that right? You're not asking for man's wisdom. So there's nothing selfish about it. There's nothing impure about it. There's nothing improper about it. There's nothing unseemly about it. It's always good to ask God for wisdom. And it's his will for you to have wisdom, but you have to ask in faith with no doubting. Now, when it says not to doubt, you do understand this. He's not talking about not having a doubting thought because thoughts of doubt come to everybody. Thoughts of doubt will come into your mind while you're believing God that does not compromise your faith. Having thoughts of doubt mean nothing. Having thoughts of doubt doesn't mean anything. It's what you do with those doubts. If you start listening to them and start changing what you're believing because of those doubts, then they've tripped you up. Because Jesus said, whatever things you desire when you pray, Believe that you receive them and you will have them in verse, that's Mark eleven twenty four. But the verse before it, he said, whoever says and shall not doubt in his heart, believing in his heart, not with his mind, with his heart. That's another topic we'll get into later. The fact is, when James said, let him ask in faith without doubting, he's talking about doubt in your inward man. So, you can't receive anything from God. If you can't receive wisdom from God without doubting, you can't receive anything from God without doubting. 
Did I say that right? That sounded backwards. You can't, you can't ask. You have to ask without doubting. That's my point. You can't doubt and receive wisdom. You can't doubt and receive your healing. You, can't, you have to ask in faith. Well, praise the Lord. Man, I didn't get started until late. Hallelujah. Let me, let me just, no, I don't have time to do that either. I said this last week. It takes a, a continual present tense hearing of the word of God. Because we talked about the fact that faith comes by hearing. It doesn't come any other way. It doesn't come by any other activity. Faith only comes by hearing the word of God. Well, if that's true, then we need to be hearing the word of God on a regular basis. The word must become first place in our life. Must become first place. Now, if that means that, that you get up earlier in the morning to spend a little time in the word, or you make sure you get in the word before you go to bed, there's... The Bible doesn't give us a set regiment. But the word has to be first in your life. I found that if I do it first, it sets the stage for me. And, and it's easier to have the word operating and, and just, just, just flowing through me. I mean, the word of God just turning over on the inside of me all day long while I'm busy doing other things. The consciousness of God's word is always working because I put it first. I, if I wait, now this is just me. If I wait, I won't, I, it just won't happen. The, the word has to be first place in your life because it's the only thing that produces faith. Oh, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Well, praise God. Let's stand up. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. <clears throat> praise God, praise God, praise God. Glory. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. The only way I've been able to stay on course all of these years is by putting the Word of God first place. It's the only way I've been able to do it. The only way I've been able to be consistent in my life and in pastoring is to put the Word of God first. Get into the habit of make, make sure, let me put it this way, make sure every day you look into the Word of God, not just read a chapter, I'm talking about feeding. Reading a chapter is good, but I'm talking about taking the Word of God and feeding on it, meditating on it. I'm not talking about an hour a day. I'm not talking about any specific time. You do whatever's right. 
But make sure you're putting that in you. You will not necessarily feel the impact of it at the time. It's not like Popeye, you know, squeezing open a can of spinach and all of a sudden, you know, you're a Superman. That's not the way the Word of God works. You put it in you and your faith will grow. Feed on the Word and your faith will grow. And it's not a, a one-week proposition. It's not a one-week proposition. Because if you're going through some kind of a battle in life, you didn't get there in a week. It's a, it's a lifestyle proposition. Faith is a lifestyle proposition. Where you make a decision to put the word in you on a consistent, regular basis. And I said last week, it, it's sort of like priming the pump to a well, the old, you know, handle uh, manual wells. If the well is, if there's no water in it, and it's not flowing, you have to prime the pump. You have to pour some water in there and kind of work it. Once you get the water flowing, it, it, it'll, you just keep pumping, it'll just keep flowing. Faith is sort of that way. It will take you a little bit more effort at first. If you're not in the habit of just disciplining yourself to put the word first place in your life and feeding on it every day, if you're not in the habit of doing that, it, it, at first... You, you might have to spend a little bit more time. But once you get faith flowing, once you put it in you to the degree that it begins to rise, and you will know it, I'm telling you, you will know when faith begins to rise up. When, when that happens, you can maintain that by just feeding on the Word. Without, it, it's not, it doesn't require that great an effort. Pastor Greg, if you haven't heard Pastor Greg's message from last Sunday night, it was so powerful. God has made it easy. You can do it. Some preachers like to, to talk about their, their exploits and how much time they spend in prayer and how much they fed on the Word. And sometimes you can hear those things. You can think, well, Gee whiz, if I, had, if I had nothing to do, it was my job to feed on the Word. That'd be a whole lot easier, but you don't have to make a living. You ever felt that way? It's, it's, not, it's not that hard. It, doesn't it does take commitment and consistency to put, listen, you can do it. You can do it. It's not that hard. You can just put the Word in you. Take, take whatever time it takes to get faith beginning to flow up on the inside of you and then simply maintain that by feeding on that. I was talking to somebody uh, last week and I was talking about how, you know, because this person had a, uh, an issue where they need healing in their body. And I was, and I was telling that person, I said, you know, I have, I have like a six-page uh, group of scriptures where I've got them you know, printed out and it's like six pages of healing and I call it daily healing. I've been feeding on that for years. 
And I rarely go a day without picking that six-page, uh, you know, list of scriptures and feeding on that. I rarely go a day. I might have a day where I'm, you know, I'm reading on something else, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick that up almost every day. And this person said, you go over six pages? I said, no, 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 no. I don't read all six pages every day. But those scriptures in those six pages, they're in me. I mean, they are in me. They are part of me. And I, and I you know, at, you know if, you're, if you're just starting out, you might have to spend a substantial a segment of a morning. But those scriptures are in me. And I just remind myself every day, I'll just take two or three of those verses and I just go through it, you know, and, 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 you know, and work my way through it and then start all over again because these things have to stay alive in me. You have to have it constantly working in you. And if you'll do that, I'm telling you, when the enemy raises his ugly head, you will come down on him with such force and such authority and such conviction, you will absolutely run him out of your house and out of your life. And you'll get in the habit of doing that. Praise God. There's no other way to please God than to live by faith. And there's no other way to enjoy, there's, no, there's really no other way to live life than to live by faith. We used to sing that old song growing up, living by faith in Jesus alone. There's nothing like living by faith. Knowing that when things come against you, you know God's got this. You know his word is true. You know it's going to work. You know the enemy's going to flee. When you, you know when you resist him, he is out the door. That comes from building that confidence in just, just you know, on a, a, on a regular basis, putting God's word first. Well, praise the Lord. I, I didn't get into what I wanted to today, but uh, praise the Lord I have next time. Amen. Well, we're going to get there. There's some things I want to share with you I think that will really help you, and we're growing in this. Amen. We're all grow I'm growing in faith. I'm not satisfied with where I am. God's blessing me and I'm enjoying life, but I, I, there's, there's more to lay hold of. There's more to lay hold of. I'm going to say this. This just came up in my heart. If, you, if you'll make the commitment to the Word of God to put it in you every day, you will discover areas where you're missing it that right now you don't even know you're missing it. You know, you're not even aware. If you put the word first place, the Lord will begin to open your heart and your understanding and you'll see things that you never saw. There are, there are a lot of people, not just other places, but even in this church, there are a lot of folks who think they have certain things figured out and, and you really don't have it figured out. There's areas of the word where you think it's one way and you, the more you get in the Word, you'll be astonished. Oh, my goodness. I've always thought that said this. And you realize you've been, you've been interpreting that through the, through the ears of your old tradition. You didn't even realize it. That's, that's the renewing of your mind. It's an ongoing process. Put the Word first. It'll, it'll bring correction in your life. And like, like the Scripture says, without 
reproof. God won't criticize you. He won't condemn you. He'll lift you up to a higher level of understanding and a higher level of living. And the whole time, he'll cheer you on. Because God is pleased with faith. He will cheer you on. Oh, glory to God. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Father, we thank you today for your goodness and blessing. We thank you, Father, for the entrance of your word. The entrance of your word gives light. It, gives, it brings understanding. It brings revelation. It shows us where our understanding has been insufficient, inaccurate, and where we've let circumstances rule where they shouldn't because we failed to see a fine point in the Word of God. Father, you show us these things. We thank you for that. We're all believing God. All of us together, Father, are believing to go up higher in every area spiritually, but especially in faith so that we can please you, so that we can be on the front line where we need to be, not sitting back in a, in a, in a medic tent somewhere, nursing our wounds, but out fighting on the front lines for the gospel's sake, full of blessing, full of life, full of health, full of finances, full of wisdom, full of everything we need, Father. Glory to God. We thank you for it. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.